Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 once again. The, the death of Christ was not just some historical tragedy. It's not just some significant event like you might learn about other historical events. But the death of Christ accomplished a spiritual work. In fact, that, that death of Christ and that time when Christ was there on the cross... Uh, is, is really, Pastor Stam wrote a, an article called The Most Important Hour of History, referring to that hour. You know, Christ often in his ministry, there were, there were uh, you know, certain, certain times where people wanted to, wanted to kill him earlier in his ministry, and he said, my hour has not yet come. See, it wasn't, it wasn't time yet. But there was that hour of history, that most important hour of history, when Christ was there on the cross, And he was bearing our sin. God took the sin of mankind and laid it there on his son. On his son who had no sin of his own. Who wasn't wasn't worthy to hang there on the cross. But God took our sin and put it upon him so that he could pay that price in our place. So that he could pay what the justice of God required be paid as a result of sin, which was death. And the Lord Jesus Christ paid that price for us that, that we could have eternal life, something we couldn't have on our own, something we couldn't work for on our own, but God would give us as something that had been bought and paid for there at the cross of Calvary. And here in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it it describes the result for the believer, for the one who has placed their trust in what Christ did there, when it says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And, and so the believer is no longer in that state that they were in as an unbeliever, dead in trespasses and sins, but they've been risen, made alive, given life in Christ. Um, you know, you know. Uh, recently, there's been this there's been this mini series on on the History Channel about the Bible, right? And there's been a lot of, a, especially if you you know if you read many Christian Christian magazines and and Christian blogs and that kind of thing. There's been a lot of discussion about this mini series, the Bible. And and you know, I think one of one of the nights so far, I think it was the most watched show on television that night. It had more more viewers than American Idol, which was running at the at the same time. Um, kind of kind of an interesting juxtaposition there. You know, on one station you have a program called American Idol, and on another you have the Bible. Um, but but you know, uh, many people have pointed out some of the some of the serious errors in in that miniseries, the Bible. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't trust Hollywood to get it right when it comes to the Bible. I hope. Um, and and you know, it's uh, 
that's been made by uh, Mark Burnett, the, the guy who created shows like Survivor and a lot of the, the reality shows. And he's married to Roma Downey. Uh, she, she starred in a, a show called Touched by an Angel. And, you know, they, they're, kind of, they're kind of new age type, you know, sort of this new age spirituality type people. And um, when, you know, when they're portraying the Bible, uh, it certainly isn't viewed in the same way that, a, you know, that a biblical Christian would view the Bible. And, you know, I don't, and I don't recommend that you watch things like that anyway, because what, what happens is, I mean, I know there's some people that are saying, they're saying, well, at least it has people talking about the Bible. And, and, you know, there might be some truth in that. But it doesn't just have people talking about the Bible. It's shaping what people think about the Bible, right? And, and what happens is you see, you see something from the Bible portrayed in that way, and now when you, when you think about that event in the Bible, what you think about is not just what the Bible says, but you think about what you saw, and your mind starts to mix those things up, right? A, a lot of people, when they think about Moses, they think about the movie The Ten Commandments more than they think about actually what the Bible says. And that's, a, that's kind of a dangerous thing. Um, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times those, those kinds of things... The, the, the movie, a similar movie a while back was the movie The Passion of the Christ. And, and I always kind of think, well, I, I probably should watch it to, know, to kind of critique it, you know, and see what they got right and, and what they got wrong. And then I think, well, well, why do I even need to do that, right? If, I, if I've got the Word of God, if I've got the, the authority, I've got the book that, that has the facts right, why do I even need to go and critique something that the world puts together about the Bible, Okay, and, um, and and yeah, it may have it may have people talking about the Bible, but but understand talking about the Bible can be a good thing or a bad thing. There are there are people all over this country and all over this world this morning that are talking about the Bible, and yet what they're doing is they're twisting and they're they're presenting, they're taking, they're doing what what. Paul says the world does in Romans chapter 1. They're, they're changing the truth of God into a lie. And so there are people today that are talking about the Bible, and yet what they're talking about is how if you're good enough, you can get to heaven. Or if you do the right religious rituals, you can get to heaven. You see? And is that, is that valuable that they're talking about the Bible? In, in some ways, what they're doing is they're taking the Bible and by mixing a little bit of truth with a little bit of error, they're kind of inoculating people to, to the truth of God's word and the power of the gospel. Okay, And so just people talking about the Bible, like I say, it can be a good thing. It can, can be a bad thing. But, but uh, when we come to the word of God... We see here in Ephesians chapter 2, it, it describes the state of the believer, but it also describes the state of the unbeliever. And it says in, uh, in verse 2, well, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the state of the unbeliever, and if you're an unbeliever here today, you may not feel dead, you may not look dead, but spiritually you're dead in trespasses and sins. That's, that's the state, that's how we come into this world. We come into this world with an inherited sin nature that 
that causes us to be sinners. We're sinners. That's our, that's our default setting when we come into the world is that we are sinners. And, and that little baby who's all sweet and innocent, just give him enough time and that sin nature will, will show itself. Right? And, and that's who we are by nature. And you can't, you can't change your nature. Right? I mean, what you are by nature is, is what you are. Here it says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. It says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, uh, I, I trust that most of you here today are saved as you read these verses and it talks about being quickened. You've experienced that life that is in Christ. You've received that life and you're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. But it's good to remember where you came from. And, and understand that when it talks there about the course of this world, uh, you see it says, it says that we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. When you look out in the world and, and you see all of the, the wickedness and the sinfulness and all these things that people do, and you wonder, why, why do people do that? Well, first of all, you see there, it said at the end of verse 3 that they're by nature the children of wrath, so they're just doing what comes natural. But even above and beyond that, you see it says that there is a spirit that is working in those children of disobedience. And it's the the prince of the power of the air. That's That's a reference to the devil himself. You see, Satan is out there active in the world. He's working in people. And he's working in people to, to keep them away from the truth of God's word. To keep them away from that life that is in Christ. And so that's, that's two things that the unbeliever has against them. They're just by nature, even if you didn't have Satan working, they'd still be by nature the children of wrath. They would still be dead in trespasses and sins. But you take that, that person who's dead in trespasses and sins, and then they have the, the spirit of the, the uh, prince of the power of the air working in them. And it's no wonder the world is the way it is. Right? I mean, that's, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. It should come as a surprise to you that the world isn't worse than what it is. Right? Um, I mean, that... That's, that's the thing that ought to be surprising. And, and uh, I mean, part of the reason is that because you have all these different individuals that are all out for themselves, sometimes they kind of keep each other's sin nature in check, right? That's why it's not worse than what it is. One of the worst things that can happen in the world is for, for all, all the unbelieving world to get together and, and start deciding they're going to work together on something. Remember, they did that at the Tower of Babel. Right? When the world decides to do that, when the world decides they're going to get together for some common cause, what it winds up being is it winds up being in opposition to anything God would have or anything God is trying to do. Because they're by nature the children of wrath and, and the spirit, that spirit is working in them. Um, and, and realize that it talks there about the course of this world. Right? This world has a certain course that it's on. It has a certain, a certain direction that it's going. And people are, are 
going along with that. They're, they're working with that. Now understand that different people's sin nature is going to reveal itself in different ways. Uh, for some people, their sin nature reveals itself in a, in a very destructive way. Uh, maybe it's through drug and alcohol abuse. Maybe it's through abusing other people. Maybe it's through uh, murdering people. Maybe, you know, all these different things. But realize that, you know, that's a, that's a function of the sin nature. But realize the sin nature often can express itself in constructive ways as well. Right? When people come together and they build, they build these, these religious institutions that are just as much in rebellion against God as what the drug addict is or the murderer is, right? I mean, that can maybe have some constructive uses to it. People do all kinds of things as a, as a result of their sin nature that might even help other people, might even, might even be considered good in the world's eyes. And yet, it's not considered good in God's eyes. Because God says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. He says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And it doesn't matter if somebody is a a CEO of a successful corporation or if they're a drunk in the gutter. If they're dead in trespasses and sins, they're dead. When you have two dead corpses, one might smell a little bit worse than the other. It it doesn't matter. They're both dead, right? Right? And that's, that's what's going on out there in the world. You have all these people dead in trespasses and sins walking according to the course of this world. Unless we get too high-minded, what Paul's reminding us of here is that that's, that's who we are. That's who we are by nature. But you see what he says about the believer, that the believer God has quickened them. He's taken them out of that deadness and he's given them life. And, and so as he describes there the, the unbelieving world, he describes who we are by nature. He, he says, just verse 3 again says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4 says, But God. Now, if you look at the first three verses, those are for focusing on the individual, right? It says, you if he quickened, he says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, uh, among whom also, verse 3, we all had our conversation in time past, right? He's putting the focus on man, but when you get to verse 4, there's a, there's a change. When you put the focus on man, that's what you get. You get walking according to the course of this world. You get uh, the spirit working in the children of disobedience. You get by nature the children of wrath. That's, if you're going to focus on man, that's, that's what you're going to get. Uh, people talk about the dignity of man. If man has any dignity of, at all, it's just a, a remnant of the fact that he was made in the image and likeness of God, and man retains a little bit of that image and likeness, even in his sinful state. If there's any dignity to man, it's, it's what he has because of that. But you see, when you get to verse 4, as he describes that state of, of man by nature, verse 4 says, but God. And, and thank God that that verse is there to take our focus off of the wickedness of man and say, out of all of that, God did something. Man does this, but God. But God who is rich in mercy. God's rich in mercy. God's rich in a lot of things, but he's rich in mercy. It means he has a lot of it. 
Now, God's just, right? God, God requires that, that sin be paid for. He's just, but God is merciful, and he's rich in mercy. And, and the verse doesn't say it, but not only is God rich in mercy, but he's generous with his mercy as well. You could be rich in something and not be generous with it, right? You could be rich in it and just, and just keep it to yourself. God's rich in mercy, and he's generous with that mercy. And he has to be because of what the verses before describe about, about who man is by nature. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. God, who's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, he didn't love us because we were dead. I mean, who would, love, who would love a dead thing? Who would love a dead person? I mean, you, you, have, you have loved ones that have died, but you don't love them because they're dead. You love them because, because of who they were when they were alive, right? I mean, you don't, you don't love... I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, just come across some, some dead thing in the road and, and love it because of what it is, right? God doesn't love us because... Of our deadness. He doesn't love man because man is dead. He loves man in spite of that deadness. In spite, you know, you, you look at how this describes man and certainly other passages that describe the works of the flesh, and you think, who, who could ever love that? It takes God to look at something that's dead and love it. And God had this great love for man. If you hold your hand here and go over to, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, one of the great proclamations here of the love of God toward man. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When Christ died, he didn't die for his own benefit. There was no benefit to him in dying. Um, he didn't die, again, just as a, a kind of a random, a random event of history. He died with a purpose. And it says here that he died for the ungodly. I'm glad it says he died for the ungodly because I'm ungodly. You should be glad he died for the ungodly because you're ungodly. To be ungodly would be to be, to be godly would be to be like God. To be ungodly would be not like God. And, and, you know, you may encounter some people who think they're kind of like God. Um, certainly that, that uh, prince of the power of the air, remember, said that he would be like the Most High. Uh, for someone to think of themselves as being like God is a, is a satanic idea. It's, it's just following the, it's just following the, the, the father of lies. It's following Satan himself, because that's what he said. I will be like the Most High. But here it says that Christ died for the ungodly. Now that tells you something. It tells you Christ didn't die for people who are righteous. Somebody who's righteous wouldn't need anybody to die for them. They wouldn't need a Savior. If somebody's righteous, uh, they, you know, they, 
They can be saved on the basis of their righteousness. But the Bible tells us there's nobody like that. And and not only that, experience tells us there's nobody like that. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're unrighteous before God. And, and, you know, we may, oftentimes what we do is, you know, we, we compare ourselves to the other people around us. The Bible says that's not a wise thing. It talks about those who compare themselves among themselves and are not wise. And, and we look at the people around us and we think, oh, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a little more righteous than, than him over there. He's got, he's got that sin that he does, and I don't do that sin. And, of course, you've got sins you do that he doesn't do, right? Uh, we look at things horizontally and we, we think, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Either that or, or we look at how, how we think we're doing now in comparison to how we might have done in the past. I know that when I've, when I've been out uh, sharing the gospel with people, um, you talk to people about whether they're a sinner or not, because if somebody, if somebody won't recognize they're a sinner, really you don't have any good news for them, right? If they're not a sinner, they, they don't have any need of salvation. And, and you talk to somebody about, about their, you know, their sinful state, and they say, oh, well, I used to be such a bad person, but I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm doing pretty good now. And I've never heard anybody say, I used to be a good person, but I'm doing terrible now. I've never heard anybody, that, I've never heard that response. But I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, I, you know, I used to be a sinner, but now I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Even if that's true, often what that means is they've traded one set of sins for another set of sins, or they've traded, you know, they've traded bad works of the flesh for, you know, relatively good works of the flesh or, or whatever. But even if that's true... What do you do about that sin that you admit you used to do? How do you get that taken care of? Is, are the good things you're doing now going to be enough to, to, to take care of that sin that you did in the past? I mean, if it, it really, if, if, if good is what you're supposed to do, one act of sin would disqualify you from eternal life by your works. And so the verse doesn't say that Christ came for the godly. You don't, you don't make yourself righteous. You don't work yourself up to a state of righteousness or being good and then be able to avail yourself of the effects of, of Christ's death. It says he died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. And if you're ungodly this morning, Christ died for you. Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now, if there were somebody that were righteous, do you suppose there would be people who, recognizing their righteousness, would be willing to die in that person's place if, the, if there were a way for them to do it? I, I suppose that's true, right? I mean, if somebody were known as a righteous person, there would be people who would, who would die for them. And that's what the verse says. It says, scarcely for a righteous man. Now, it would, be, it would be hard to find somebody who would even do that. But scarcely... Somebody would do that. Somebody would die for a righteous man. It says, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Even if somebody's not righteous, but they're generally good, there would be some people that would die for them. But look at what Christ did. Verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We certainly weren't righteous. We weren't even good. We were sinners, and Christ died for us. 
And verse 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, that passage tells you that there were three things that, that were true of you um, by, by nature. One is that you were without strength. Uh, if God required you to do good works to be saved, you wouldn't be able to do it because you didn't have, to do, you didn't have the strength to do the good works that God required. Right? So, so it says in, um, in verse 6 that we were, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, it says, while we were yet sinners, not only did we not have, we didn't have the strength to do the good things, but we sure found the strength to do the bad things, didn't we? (laughs) Right? We were sinners. We, We didn't have strength to do the good things, but we were sinners. We were people who did things that, that missed the mark. And then it says, verse 10 even goes beyond that, because verse 10 says, for if when we were enemies. We were without strength. We were sinners, but we were enemies. That's who man is by nature. We're enemies of God. We are, we're, not just, we're not just even ambivalent toward the things of God. By nature, we are hostile toward the things of God. We're God's enemies. Not because he's made himself our enemy, but because we've made ourselves his enemy. Right? And if we go back to our text in Ephesians 2... Again, those passages are just describing the same thing. It's describing that, that state of man. But you see, Romans 5 said, in all of that, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those that were without strength. He died for sinners. He died for enemies. And in our, in our text, you see, it says, uh, verse 5 says, even when we were dead in sins, God hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And the opportunity, I mean, if there's anybody here today that's still in that state of being dead in trespasses and sins, the, the way to get out of that is to receive life from God. You can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't give yourself spiritual life. But Christ has done some things. He died on that cross. He paid the price. He paid everything that God's justice requires. Right? Our sin means that we owe something. Just like, just like if you've committed a crime and you're brought into the courtroom and you're found guilty, there's going to be a sentence. There's going to be a punishment. And our sin requires punishment. But somebody already paid that punishment in our place. And we can have eternal life as a free gift. There's nothing left for me to pay. I simply receive of the gift that God offers. And, and if you've never received that gift this morning, understand that it's available to you. It's simply a matter. There's, there's, no, there's no long list of things that you need to do in order to receive that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. A gift is something somebody else purchases and they give to you. And eternal life, the Bible says, is a free gift. And you just receive it like you would any other gift. You just, you just I mean, it's not a, obviously, it's not a physical thing that you can take into your, your physical possession, But you just believe, you believe the giver. You believe that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again. 
Uh, certainly that resurrection plays a part in the, in the whole thing as well. We're talking more about the death of Christ this morning. But you just you receive that gift. You simply make that choice to believe what God says about Christ and what, what he accomplished. It's not, a, it's not a matter of believing in a historical fact. The death and resurrection of Christ are a historical fact. You can establish them to the same degree of certainty that you can other, other historical, historical events. It's not believing in it as, as a historical fact, but it's a believing what God's word says about what his death, burial, and resurrection accomplished. That he died for your sins. That he was buried. That he rose again with, with victory over death and the grave. And to believe that, when someone believes that, there's a change that takes place. See, there's, a, there's eternal life that is, that is conferred on that individual. And that, that spiritual deadness, that spiritual corpse is brought to life, and now there's some life in Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone, 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.